0: Perhaps some of you remember seeing in the news back in November, but California experienced its most deadly, most destructive fire in its history, and it was one of the worst fires in U.S. history. It destroyed the entire town called Paradise, California. Now, I do some writing and some editing for different nonprofits. And one of the people I work with, they knew a church and partnered with them out there called Hope Christian Church. And Hope lost its entire building. That's where the church stood. They had just finished some renovations, and now it's all gone. So the people I work for were trying to find a way to give them encouragement and to tell their story. So they asked if I would want to go fly to California, and they would fly out a video team, and we would all be there to do interviews and to write things about them, to video them, and just to hear them tell how they're doing and how they still have hope even after this tragedy. Well, I know it was a bad thing, but I also kind of felt kind of cool because I've never been a traveling journalist before, so I was a bit honored to go out there and... As I'm going, I'm just thinking about all, like, what am I going to say? How am I going to ask? How am I going to look professional here as this traveling journalist? And then we get there the night before, land, a different time zone. I'm tired. We're going into the hotel. I'm just ready to start the next day. And I get in the elevator, and there's a man standing there with nothing, and here I am with my suitcase and everything. He says, are you from paradise? I said, no, I'm visiting people there. He goes, I was from there. I lost my wife, I lost my house, and I lost my dog. I had no words. The elevator opened, and he stepped out, and I think I said something like I would be thinking of him and praying for him. But I suddenly realized, while I can read about tragedies all the time online, we see things, I've just become desensitized. But here I was, up close, and it suddenly hit me. What was I going to say to these people here? We've been doing a series called Slow Church this new year. We've been talking about planning roots, forming community. And part of that, part of our assignment, is to spend time with people who are struggling and who are suffering. It's a little heavy for the morning, but it's an important topic for us. Now, God gave us plenty of stories in Scripture And there's a number of people who stood by others, were patient and loving in their times of struggle. And Jesus did that the most. But the story I want us to look at today is in Acts 9. And we're going to look at a person who was a disciple of Jesus, who was with him through his ministry on earth. And now we see Peter as an apostle. Now I don't know if you are like me But sometimes when I get past Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I'm at the rest of the New Testament, I kind of compartmentalize that. You know, we've seen Jesus. He's gone back to heaven now. And now we have the church starting. And in my mind, I start reading about Peter and Paul, and they're these mature-seeming leaders, right? They're heading up the church. They're giving instruction to the believers on this is how to be God's people. But... Really, we know these guys. We have read about them in the Gospels. And if you recall, when Peter was a young man, he kind of was, I don't know, an annoying know-it-all at times? Pretty impulsive? He's the guy that decides to jump out of the boat and try to walk on the water? He's the guy that, when they arrested Jesus, grabbed his sword and cut off a man's ear? He's the guy that flat-out denied knowing his best friend, Jesus. When push came to shove. That's the Peter we're dealing with. He's had a long way to go. And now he's supposed to be a leader in the church. And so I like to keep that perspective in mind today. Because I think it shows a lot of growth. And of the way that Peter needed to model his life after the compassion of Jesus. So we're going to look at verse 32 at the beginning. But to set this scene, I want us to note that the church was meeting at people's houses They were scattered. They had originally scattered because of persecution. Now they are trying to figure out how to be a church. How do you live in the way of Christ? And the further they were from Jerusalem, they were a little farther away from the apostles and their guidance. So we see Peter was traveling about the country. And he was going to visit these churches in order to give them instruction, to check in on them, and to see how this new venture called church was going. So, as Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. Now, he's not just writing to them here. He's not being his impulsive self. It takes some determination, some deliberation to go and plan this journey to visit with churches. So that's number one. Number two is he sees that they could use in-person encouragement. Maybe these believers struggled with the decisions they make. They're supposed to be Christ-like. Okay, well, Jesus isn't on earth anymore. How do we keep being Christ-like? What does that mean? Maybe they started to doubt. Was Jesus just a new trend? Or was it lasting truth? I think it helped these believers to have someone come in person to give them encouragement and guidance. Because it means a lot when someone shows up and is present. Don't you think? Have you ever had that happen to you? Maybe you were making a decision And you just needed someone to stand there while you spewed out all of the options so you could figure out what to do. Maybe you were in a time of transition and everything in your life was changing, so you needed that one solid, consistent person in your life that wasn't going to move. Maybe you were dealing with a tragedy yourself and you needed someone to show up and just cry with you. Now, when I was out in Paradise, California, the group of us that went, We couldn't fix anything. I didn't have any building skills. I couldn't buy them a new home. It was me and this other group of people, and we could just simply encourage. We could give hugs. We could pray. We could listen. And it didn't feel like much, just to be honest. But Stan, the minister that we met with, he said, thank you. Just by being here, You've given me new life, new encouragement, new energy. Look around you. Who needs you to simply show up? Let's keep going. We're actually going to notice that Peter, we're going to skip over a few verses, he did a miracle while he was in Lydda, but we're going to look at a town nearby. Meanwhile, five miles away, there is another group of faithful believers who are meeting in a town called Joppa, and we're introduced to a woman named Dorcas. It's okay, you can laugh. I mean, I giggle inside every time I say Dorcas, so I'm just going to go by Tabitha. That was her other name, okay? It's apparently a beautiful name for a woman who lived back in the day. Okay, let's look at verse 36. Read with me. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please, come at once. This is a group of Christians who are suffering. They are a small group, and one of them has died. They are in pain, and they seek out Peter. Peter. I don't know if they were expecting him to come and do a miracle or if they just felt like they needed a church leader present with them. But for some reason, they were hurting, and they wanted Peter by their sides. And I have to think back at that impulsive jump-out-of-the-boat Peter. And I thought, if he had been asked just a few years ago, what do you think his response would have been? Would he have been like, well, she's already died. Why do I need to rush? Would he have, if he had had the power of healing, do you think he'd try to just like laser beam the miracle from afar? Wave a magic wand. But we see that Peter, he's a different person now. And I want to note that the authors of Slow Church, a book that we have been reading together, some of us, say that if we are avoiding suffering... It dilutes our witness to our Lord Jesus who took our suffering on himself. When we can't enter the sufferings of our sisters and brothers and neighbors, the Christ we embody in our neighborhoods is a shallow distortion of the Jesus we encounter in Scripture. So Peter encountered that amazing Jesus. And so I think that he's put aside his impulsive ways and he's beginning to look like his rabbi. It would have been easy for Peter to say he had another agenda. He might have had a list of things to do where he was and didn't want to travel for five miles away. Um, you know, it's not the most exciting thing to leave and go be with the hurting. And every day it's easy for us to look the other way. I'll just tell you this morning. I was so wrapped up in my own agenda that I didn't stop and pause and care for some people who were dealing with some frustration this morning. I did it myself as I'm studying my own sermon. It's easy to look the other way. But you know what? It doesn't take flying across the country to do something for people who are struggling. Just a couple of weeks ago, I met Kennedy, who visited with us for the first time with Josh. They're students at NKU, if you haven't met them, say hello. Her first week here, they didn't grab a cup of coffee and run up the stairs. They encountered two older women who were visiting Echo also for the first time. And these women were at the bottom of our beautiful staircase with lots and lots of stairs. And one woman had a walker. And I'm sure they just had these thoughts in their mind, how am I going to get up there? Kennedy and Josh just swooped right over and said, we can help. Got her walker, got her things, so that her friend could give her support. And they made their way up the stairs. I imagine it was a slower walk than they normally would have taken up the stairs on their own. But they were patiently being Christ to those two women that day. And it was a beautiful example for me. And maybe they haven't thought about it since. But after church that day, those two women said several times to me, we're just so grateful someone helped us here because we really enjoyed this service. We're just called to be present, to be aware, and do the small things that can make someone's life easier. So let's keep going. I'm on my wrong page here. We're going to keep going and look at verse 39 and see when Peter was present. Let's see what he did. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Now let's look closer. Peter isn't grabbing a sword here. He is standing still, and he is listening to Tabitha's friends to their stories, to their grieving hearts. It's just a sentence, but you can just see they're telling him stories, and he is receiving those. And as he stands among the believers, I wonder if his spidey sense is tingling, if he's remembering that not long ago, he and his own family were suffering. His mother-in-law was ill. And Jesus had spent a very busy day at the synagogue teaching and healing, But when he heard that Peter's mother-in-law was ill, and he was there and spent time in their home and healed her, and now Peter has the opportunity to provide the same compassion. Because Peter had studied in the very presence of compassion for three years. He had seen Jesus not just perform miracles, but hurt with the hurting. Jesus wept with Martha and Mary. Even though he was new, he was getting ready to raise Lazarus from the dead. He spent time in their pain and didn't run from it. Peter is modeling his mentor here and entering into suffering in the patient way of Jesus. Have you ever pulled back a little bit when you see someone suffering? I mean, it's uncomfortable to draw close. And maybe you feel like, well, you're not a trained counselor. You're not a pastor. What can you say? It's okay. Just text someone and say you're praying. Ask them if they want to hang out and act normal for a while if they've been through something tragic. Maybe you don't need to say anything at all. Just sit, wait, and listen. It might feel awkward at first. It probably always will feel awkward. That's okay. Push through the awkwardness. When I was in California, I felt awkward. But I want to show you this picture. This is what was needed of me. There's Stan sitting in front of his burnout trunk truck. You see a camera guy and the sound guy. And there's me. So the director told me, Okay, Stan needs to look this direction for this video angle. And he needs to talk to someone and tell this story. You squat here and just let him talk to you. I will tell you, It was humbling, so humbling. I just sat there, and I was supposed to listen, receive, stand story. As he told the details of the day, of the fear of talking on the phone with his worship minister who was stuck in traffic, and fire was on either side, and he wasn't sure if he was going to hear from her again. He spoke all of these words, and all I had to do was listen. Let's finish up our story from Acts 9. Peter sent them all out of the room, and then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa and many believed in the Lord. The story has a happy ending. God was using Peter to bring something good to this community, and many people believed, which tends to be the point of these miracles. Peter has more lessons to learn if you keep reading in Acts. He still needs to grow as a leader, but on this day, he represented Jesus, and he represented him well. We're called to do the same to be Jesus to others, when people are struggling in pain, people here in this congregation need you. People outside these walls in our city, they're going to need you. It's not easy, but it's what Jesus called us to do. Now, as we wrap up, I wrote my feature fancy journalist article, and it's going to be published next month. And as I was working on this and working on the sermon and the article and everything collided. So I'd like to read you a little bit, a sneak peek here for you, because it applies today. On day two of our visit, we headed to Stan's home, where his house once stood now matched the ash and rubble of Hope Christian Church. We meandered a bit, carefully across shattered glass from their scorched car, past charred frame of a former barn around broken light fixtures and crumbled plaster. Watching Stan examine the remains of his home, I wondered what emotions he was experiencing. Hesitantly, I walked over and asked about the ground where he stood. This was my man cave, said Stan. Had a spot for each of my kids with their childhood photos and trophies. Then after a beat, he said, hey, my son's sword was in this room. I wonder if it melted or if I can find it. I laughed as he bounded off on his quest looking for the sword. How Stan remained upbeat was truly a gift from God's spirit. My approach in coming to paradise had been as delicate as our steps through the debris. How do you enter into someone's suffering with grace? How do you stand with them, helpless and protective simultaneously? It's vulnerable on both sides. Yet Stan made it easy. He spoke in tears about the fear that gripped him in the unknown. He spoke in relief when he found out that every member of his church family was safe. Above all, he spoke with confidence in the Lord. Stan said, I told the church, this is our defining moment. We've been saying every week for eight years, in Christ, we always have hope. Now it's time to prove we have hope in Jesus. Always. when I was rereading his words, I realized that's the answer. That's how we enter into someone's suffering with the hope of Jesus. We have hope that our suffering of any kind is not the end of the story. We have hope in an eternity given to us by God. Jesus became that hope. Peter taught and demonstrated that hope. And we're called to go share that hope up close, right by people, right next to them, whatever they're going through. Let's pray. God, we just come before you and tell you that we feel awkward. There's so many times where we don't feel capable enough to do what you're asking us to do. Forgive us for the times we've looked away when it felt uncomfortable, when we could have stepped in. Open our eyes to who you have before us, to the people in our path, whether we know them or not, who need us to be by them and just be your hope, your presence right by their side. We'll try to find those opportunities and live those out. Thank you, Lord, for your hope. Amen.